Our world is filled with praise. All people, everywhere, often praise. You do it. I do it. Everyone in Greater Boston does it. It often goes something like this. One of our members named Randy loves ramen. He's like the local ramen expert. And so we often hear Randy sing the praises of various ramen restaurants, telling you where you should go, where you find the best ramen. Over the months, I heard him tell many others, take many others to ramen restaurants. Somehow I missed the invitation over and over. And finally, I was like, Randy, would you take me to one of these ramen restaurants? And so we did. He had told me how great it was. So we went to this one in Davis Square. He coached me up. He led me through the meal. And at some point in it, he basically said something like, how was it? And the implication was, you better say it was good. It was really good, right? <laughs> and it was. It was great. It was, it was incredible. And so together, we both said, this was great ramen. I'm not quite as excited as Randy was, but, but this was really good ramen. Let me tell you about this ramen. And so together, we praised this ramen. And by our praising, we shared an enjoyment together of it. And to a certain extent, we might even say that our, our enjoyment of the ramen was greater because we shared it together. We ate and we spoke and we reminisced of how good it was. We praised the ramen. And all people everywhere in various ways spend our days praising. There's a goodness, there's a rightness, there's an appropriateness to that, to praise things, to commend things, to commend people. But for the Christian, there's more to it than only that. We too are to be people who praise, and it is in this praise that we too find enjoyment, peace, refreshment, life as we praise. That's what we're going to see this morning, and hopefully that's what we'll do together as well. So if you have a Bible, turn me to Psalm 117. Today we're in the book of Psalms, Psalm 117. You can find it on page 511. The Bible's near you, page 511. I encourage you to open up a copy of the Bible or open up a Bible app so you can see the passage in front of you this morning as we walk our way through this psalm. If you're newer to reading the Bible, the larger numbers are the chapter numbers, so we're in chapter 117 of Psalms, or Psalm 117. And if you don't own a copy of the Bible, we as a church would love to give you one today as a gift. So at the back of the room, there's a table, there's a stack of Bibles, there's a sign that says free Bibles. Following the service, we'd encourage you to stop by there, grab one of those Bibles, and take it with you today as our gift to you. So we've been spending the uh, second half of July and August in selected Psalms. So today we're in Psalm 117. The Psalms writes, Praise the Lord all nations. Extol him, all peoples, for great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. And this morning, the emphasis of this psalm we'll see is this. Join in the worldwide praise of our loving and faithful Lord. Join in the worldwide praise of our loving and faithful Lord. And we're looking at this psalm in two parts. First, we'll see a call to praise. And the second, the grounds for praise. So a call to praise, the grounds for praise. So first, a call to praise in 
verse 1. This is the shortest psalm, and in fact, the shortest chapter in the entire Bible. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> I'm going to beat you to it. Uh, you're wondering, does it mean a short sermon? We'll see. I wouldn't get your hopes up, though, so I just want to prepare you. Better to be surprised by brevity than to hope for brevity and not experience it. So best to set the internal clock for normal length. The writer of the psalm, the psalms begins with a call, an exhortation. Notice he says, praise the Lord. He calls us to extol him. To praise is to declare, to celebrate his greatness. Now, who is he exhorting us to praise? And notice he says, praise the Lord. And if you look at our text, you'll notice that it's not a general exhortation to praise. But in fact, it's quite specific. So you look down at your Bible, you'll look at the word Lord. You may notice that it's in all capitals. Now, sometimes when you read the Bible, you'll come to the word Lord and it's capital L, but the rest are lowercase, which refers to a title, Lord, ruler, the king, sometimes used for God. But when it's all capitals like we have here, the translators have not made a typeset mistake, but they're actually communicating something to us of what does this word in particular mean? And all capital L, all caps, means the covenant name of God, the name Yahweh, the special name that God revealed to his covenant people. So anytime you see that in the Bible, that's what it's referring to covenant name, Yahweh. So here, when we're exhorted to praise, there is a specific God that we're being urged to praise, the God of the Bible. He's not simply saying, it's good to praise. Nor is he simply saying, it's good to praise a God, any God, just choose a God and praise that God. No, here it's very specific. Praise the covenant God, the God revealed to us in the scriptures. Now, who is called into praising? It says all nations, all peoples. Now, what is meant by nations or peoples, we don't mean geopolitical units like we think of today. This is not referring to, to Canada or China, but the smaller groups, even language groups, groups that would share the same culture, the same language. A group like the Pashtuns, who we love and pray for as a church. It's a group that shares culture and shares a particular language. And let's see that this includes all. He doesn't say some should praise, or he doesn't say most, or he doesn't say as many as possible praise. Instead, he calls all the nations, all peoples, to praise. So he's saying that there is one who is worthy of the praise of all peoples, that all peoples everywhere should join in the praise of this one true God. Our friends, this has always been God's design, God's desire, that all peoples everywhere would join in the glad praise of him. If you're familiar with the scriptures and the Old Testament, we often think of the unique people of God, God's chosen people, Israel, the Jews, who did have a special relationship with God. I don't think we most often think of that in a very exclusive way, that they knew the one true God. They were this unique people chosen by him, given through Abraham and then the descendants of Abraham to, to make a nation. And God did have a special covenant with them. 
It's also true from the very beginning that God chose this people, God created this people for a purpose beyond this people, that through this people, they would be a light for all the nations. It was always God's gracious intention of them. Now, it's true in practice, often God's people lost sight of that aspect of their design, why they were there. And they so often turned inward, focused on the exclusive nature, losing sight of God's desire for their light to shine to all the nations. But the psalmist who writes today, he doesn't miss that purpose. He knew what he was writing of, and he was not breaking new ground by saying that all the nations are to be praised. No, he's, he's echoing, inspired by the Spirit, God's design from the very beginning. And still a significant message then in that day, though, to say all nations and all peoples, for, for God's people then to sing together. So the psalmist here knows God's plan, and yet the psalmist doesn't see clearly what this plan will fully look like how it will be realized, how all the peoples, all the nations will be brought into this glad praise of God. And we see now in the coming of Jesus Christ, how that happens so that this good news would be available freely to all. Now the, the global display has been made for Jesus came for the world, we're told. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus then sent his disciples. He sends us into the world so that the world would know of this love, as we saw at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. We finished just a few weeks ago. This mission to go and make disciples of all the nations. That continuing echo, this is God's design and his purpose. So this psalm calls the whole world to praise this one Lord, the one true God, the God of the Bible. The Bible says from beginning to end, there is this one and only God. And it says from beginning to end that salvation is found in him alone. Salvation is only found through this one God. And the Bible says, the good news is, there is this one God who saves and who's made this salvation available to any and all who receive it by faith so we can tell this good news to all that they might hear and respond and receive it. That is the good news. This gospel is for the world. In the earliest days of the church, the book of Acts, we see it. It took some time for the earliest Christians the majority of them of Jewish background, to, to wrap their minds around this good news being for all the world. Because it was shocking to them that this good news was for the Gentiles, the non-Jews as well. And so as we trace in the book of Acts, we see kind of fits and starts of how this will happen and how receptive God's people will be. The Apostle Paul wrote often of this. As he wrote the letters to the churches, helping to equip them, train them, correct them, they would see that this good news is for the whole world. One of the places he writes of this is in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 15, verses 8 through 12, as he writes of how Christ came for both Jew and Gentile. And if your Bible has footnotes, you might look at the bottom and you may notice that it says of 117.1 that it is cited in Romans 15.11. So not all Bibles have the footnotes, but if yours does, it may say, cited in or cited Romans 15, 11. 
So if you were to later this week or later today, go to Romans 15, 11, you'd find our psalm quoted there. And as Paul is making this argument, he's tracing God's plan and God's promises from the patriarchs, from Abraham, from Isaac, and from Jacob. And then he quotes multiple times from the Old Testament scriptures, from 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 50. Deuteronomy 32, 43, he quotes our passage, Psalm 117, and he quotes Isaiah eleven ten. And so Paul is saying from God's word given to God's people, this is, been, this is the mission. This has always been the mission. This is God's design for all peoples everywhere to know of the saving work of Christ and to join in the glad praise of God. We see in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, the, the future promise. When this design is realized, when this desire is fulfilled, Revelation 7, 9 gives us a glimpse of what it will be like in the new heavens and the new earth. And here's what it says. John writes, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. So this is the future picture. This is the promise realized. Some from every single people group will be there. God assures us of that in the future. So this good news is for all the world. I think as we think about this idea of praising, though, I think probably for many of us initially, there's a number of ways that it doesn't quite set well with us. If you're not a Christian, we're glad you're with us this morning. And this idea of God saying to us, Praise me, may seem odd to us. C.S. Lewis, who originally was a skeptic, not a believer, and later came to faith in Christ, he wrote very helpfully about this. Here's what he wrote. When I first began to draw near to belief in God, and even for some time after it had been given to me, I found a stumbling block in the demand so clamorously made by all religious people that we should praise God. Still more in the suggestion that God himself demanded it. We all despise the man who demands continued assurance of his own virtue, intelligence, or delightfulness. So this is how Lewis initially thought. Perhaps how you think as well today. But later, Lewis's outlook changed. He continues and he writes, I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise unless shyness or fear of boring others is deliberately brought into check. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet. My addition, we praising ramen noodles. Lewis continues, I had noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? I think we might delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. Lewis concludes, fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. So in this command, praise God. He's doing us a favor. He's saying, come into this glad enjoyment of me by praising me. So it's not that somehow God would be incomplete if we didn't praise. But it is instead that we are incomplete when we don't join in the praise of him. 
It's not that he needs our praise, it's that we need to praise him. We find satisfaction and peace as we look away from ourselves. We stop trying to get others to praise us. By faith, we praise our God. So we see a call to praise. But then second, we see the grounds for praise in verse 2. Notice the psalmist doesn't only say, praise the Lord, all nations. That'd be an even shorter psalm, right? Just, just one statement. He could have done that. That'd be an appropriate exhortation, but he goes on, and the psalmist helpfully gives us reasons for praise. Why we can, why we should praise this covenant God. In our text, he gives us two reasons, as he says, verse 2, for or because. So, so praise the Lord because of these reasons, for these reasons. Obviously, he's not trying to be exhaustive, but he gives us these two very significant reasons to praise God. So the first is this, great is his steadfast love for us. And the second, the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. So the first reason for praise is great is his steadfast love toward us. Now, this idea of steadfast love, the steadfast love of the Lord is an important theme in the Old Testament. Steadfast love has the idea of covenant love or perpetual love, faithful love, loving kindness. So great is this steadfast, faithful love. Or the steadfast, faithful love is powerful. It prevails. That would have been true and accurate. And good news worthy of praise if the psalmist would have said, praise the Lord for his steadfast love. That's not where he ends though, is it? He included more as he says, great is his steadfast love toward us. So he's not saying that God is just generally loving or vaguely loving, but he's pointing us to his love that has been and is directed towards his people, toward us. And notice when we think about it, he's exhorting all peoples, all the nations to join in the praise of God as he gives that reason for his steadfast love toward us. So who is the us here? Well, it certainly includes Israel, those who first had this psalm, but it's not only them. But it is all peoples, every person who joins in the praise of this one true God, know this steadfast love. For this love is available, it is for, it can be experienced by all, by us, friends. So the us included the Israelites who were living by faith and singing this psalm together in Jerusalem. But, but even then, there were a few non-Jews joining in the glad worship of God. And this us includes Christians across the centuries. And today it includes we who are in this room, who've turned to Christ by faith. And it includes Christians across Greater Boston, gathered in churches like this. It includes our, our brothers and sisters in China, and in Canada, and Afghanistan, and across so many different peoples. The Turks, the Sherpa, the Japong. Now, how had Israel... God's people who first had this psalm, how had they experienced the steadfast love of the Lord? Well, no, a number of ways as God had chosen them to make him his people, as he poured his love out on them, and then the pinnacle of his saving love was displayed in his saving grace as he rescued them out of slavery in Egypt. 
as they had been enslaved with no way of saving themselves. And so God, by his might, brought them out all a gift for this people. And so God's people would remember year after year, looking back and celebrating God's saving work, remembering the exodus, the deliverance that God had given. But friends, even since then, there's an even greater, clearer, ultimate picture of God's steadfast love displayed in history, in the world, in the coming of Jesus Christ, God the Son. Out of God's great love, Jesus Christ came near, took on flesh, walked the earth, lived among us. Lived a perfect, 